suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. I'm actually jealous of the meerkats because it's probably easy for them to identify good guys and bad guys as they're looking out. Yeah, anyone world. who wants to eat them is yeah, probably yeah, a bad guys. guy. That's right. Things they want to eat, let's head in that direction. It'd be simple, wouldn't it? It's not so simple in our world to identify the good and the bad, to sort out the wheat from the chaff, to just get through the mountain of distraction, lies. To work out who's Jesus and who is Satan. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, it's not easy. But that's what we're here for on this podcast. That's our job is to, is to work our way through it and help you out, dear listener, because you're too busy. You're working away nine to five. You've got other commitments. You can't read all of the shit that we have to read and all of the posts and social media stuff that we follow. You're relying yeah. on us to provide a few guideposts, I guess. But Trevor, you and I don't agree on everything. That's true. Yes. At least we're trying <laughs> to find common ground, yes, common understanding. Mm. At least we, at least if we can find the truth of something, mm. then we can argue about the merits of things. I, I just getting to the truth is the hard part. Rewatched uh, a eulogy to Hitch yes. yesterday, actually, yes. and one of his friends said, "You know, I I often disagreed with seventy five percent of what he said." Mm. He was still friends. He actually enjoyed being challenged. Yes. And, and I think that's the important point is that you can challenge and still be friends mm. and, and that you appreciate somebody challenging your point of view. I've actually enjoyed the last couple of weeks where you guys have been pushing back on the China-Russia business. Mm -hmm. So quite enjoyed that. We were having a bit of disagreement, a bit of to and fro. So, Yeah. Anyway. I don't think we actually disagree over China. I just think to myself mm. that we've got to actually not restrain them, but manage their re-rise, you know, because they are, they are getting, they are getting back to where they originally belonged for the last 18 centuries out of the last 20, mm. they were down below where they were and now they've, they're starting to come back to where they were now. Mm. And I just think to myself, okay, that's fine. But I just think to myself, they've got to actually step back from Taiwan. That's all. Right. Well, see, we do disagree on some things. Anyway, exactly. let's work our way through some topics, see where we agree and disagree. And what is, what's on the agenda? Well, we're going to talk about religious instruction in Queensland. It's been a bit of stuff about that. And then really there was a bunch of topics that to me were all centered around our media and what a poor job it's been doing, particularly in Australia. So a lot of things where what's going on, a fair amount of the discussion is about how it's being treated in the media as 
in addition to what is actually going on. So if you're in the chat room, say hello. Who is in the chat room? We've got John and Andrew and Tanya and Mel. Here over the moment, Mel. Good to see you there, Mel. So, right. Oh, um, she's the, what? she was up there at the Mackay meeting, was she? Yeah, she's one of, the, one of the instigators. So, right. Well, let's talk about religious instruction in school. So, we revealed a week or two ago that the Queensland Labor Party at its conference agreed unanimously that to have a policy that religious instruction lessons should either be taken away out of school completely or alternatively that they be offered during lunchtime breaks or before or after school, not during school time. So that was a clever, a clever little thing to put in there as a way of of appearing reasonable, and it is reasonable to offer them, you know, that's that's still something that they shouldn't be allowed to do in a Absolutely. secular state school. But mm. as a tactic of trying to get something through the parliament, excellent move, because, of course, when the religious instruction lobby objects to it, the answer is, well, you can still do it. Just do it before or after school. Because, you know, in America, it, it's not even allowed in school. Yes. So, so look at our system and think they'd well, love to have it. Yeah, they have so the 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 religion mob have wet dreams about it. The secularists go, "What the hell were you doing? <laughs> what were you thinking of?" Yes, because yes. kids associate school with knowledge, and so they're yeah. coming here and they're getting assertions rather than knowledge. Yes. So yeah, you go to church for assertions, you go to school for knowledge. Yeah. Well, anyway, so we had that, which was great. And we did think at the time, well, it's one thing to have a policy. It's another thing to actually have laws changed. And unfortunately, it's been reported that Grace Grace, living up to her name, possibly, has basically said she's got no intention of changing the law to match in with this policy. And it's also come out because there's been some great work, in particular by a writer at the Career Mail, Matty Holdsworth who's been writing lots of articles which have quite succinctly put forward the secular case very well. I mean, we would have been dreaming for years about having a journalist like maybe Holdsworth at the Courier-Mail doing what he's doing right now. He's doing a great job. So he's coming out with articles, and the latest one was had a lady called Karen Grenning and she's from the Queensland Christian Religious Instruction Network. She's the chair, and she's not happy about the proposed change. I think there should be a G and me on the end of that. Q cringe. Yes, cringe, cringing. Is that what you say? Oh, no, 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 the Q-C-R-I-N. Right. Oh, I see. The acronym. Yes. Anyway, so... Also in this article, it talks how that the Queensland Teachers Union is is in favour of the change, and also the State School Principals Association, Queensland Association of State School Principals. They've been very coy in the past and difficult to get any sort of commitment from in years gone by, as I recall. So I find it very encouraging and interesting that the Queensland Association of State School Principals also backs the changes. Of course, uh, Karen, living up to her name as a Karen, must be terrible to be a Karen these days. 
And as soon as you have a bit of a gripe about something, mm-hmm. you're accused. Oh, of what a Karen! It. Yes, would be terrible, wouldn't it? Anyway, living up to her name, she um, she didn't like the compromise because you know this is of doing it before or after school because she said it would mean the end of RI in Queensland. She says, when the Victorian government decided to do that, we know the numbers fell overnight, effectively killed. There would be no program, Ms. Grenning said. We don't want hundreds of thousands of parents to miss out on the important part of education. That is the consequence. So what she's basically admitting, as we all know, is the kids don't want to really do these things. And they're not going to give up their lunchtime. Also, the parents, 99.9% of the time, would not be interested in getting their kids to school early or picking them up late so they could attend a before or after class. So she's effectively admitting that the Victorian experience would be replicated here, that the kids and the parents, if they have to put in a modicum of effort, will not want to do it, and the whole rock show will collapse. And she says that without Yes, but you awareness. Said it's all about values. Yes. Because people can't have values without being indoctrinated, sorry, being instructed in religion. Yes. She also tried to run the argument that the people, or the children who don't go to religious classes, they get some valuable religion, revision and quiet reading time. It's very valuable to them that they'd be missing out on. So she's trying to say that this downtime where kids are twiddling their thumbs would, would be lost. <laughs> Ludicrous. The problem is, of course, if you look at the comment section on the Courier Mail with these articles, they've been pretty heavily in favour of religious instruction continuing the way it has because guess what the average reader of the courier mail is is that sort of demographic so unfortunately if grace grace is paying attention to the comment section then she will be a full sense of entitlement yes to keep it as it is and be scared to change it because she will go oh no all the comment section are against it i better not do anything Quite possibly she thinks that way. Who knows? Really, surely in the Labor Party now, if you are criticised in the Courier Mail or you're criticised by commentators in the Courier Mail, you should see that as a green light for a thing you should do. Exactly. It should be a signal to you that that's something you should do. If the Courier Mail is telling you not to or the people are telling you not to, it's probably something you should do. Anyway, that's where we're at with religious instruction. It will be interesting to see what pressure can come to bear on Grace Grace over this issue by Labor Party colleagues, I guess. Sounds like next election we're all out in her electorate campaigning for the Greens. Absolutely we are. Absolutely we are. We are going to make contact with whoever the Greens candidate is and we will be offering as much support as we possibly can because the Greens, of course, have a policy of getting rid of this RI and Grace Grace's electorate is one of those that's in danger of the Greens taking it over. She should see that. (laughs) Anyway. Right, in the chat room, what's been happening there? Let me just, why can't I scroll on this chat and see what's been happening why isn't that scrolling? Oh, no, why? Let me go back to here. 
Okay, let me see. Yes, and we get Mel, we are going to help on the Sunshine Coast as well. <laughs> Actually, Julia says the comments section on previous articles have a majority saying get it out. That's good. That's what she said. Check out the video on this video. There's some links there to some videos that Julia is aware of. And John says he knows a couple of Karens and they prefer Kaz now. Yeah. Julia says principles have wanted changes since 2015. Okay. And hello to Alison's mother, Bev. Mel <laughs> uh, also asked, did we pick up on the AUKUS at state conference? No, we didn't. So presumably the state conference said they didn't like the sound of AUKUS, I would hope. That Hopefully they said the stage three tax, cut, tax cuts were correct as well. Yeah, yeah. Let us know, Mel, what the story was with AUKUS at that state conference as well. All right. So... In the chat room, you're firing away already. Good to see. Before we move on to more of my media stuff, is there a strange buzzing coming through? Yeah, it's Scott's fridge. It's my refrigerator. It's just like, <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. That's all right. Joe, you yes. were concerned about AI and Christian email campaigns. What's the mm. story? So I was listening to a podcast, Science Versus, which generally delves into delves into controversial matters and this time was ai and how it was going to end the world and shock horror it isn't mm -hmm. but they did say one of the most concerning things was the ability to generate convincing sounding letters to generate a flood of replies on a controversial issue and they'd taken a bunch of generated and real letters to some politicians in the u.s and they couldn't tell which ones were generated and which ones weren't. Mm. And so there's a very real possibility that with a bit of knowledge, you could generate an email campaign as a single person and generate hundreds or even thousands of e emails to politicians, pretending that their electorate cares about an issue that really isn't of interest. Yes. And, and knowing that the ACL engage in these huge letter writing campaigns where they just dump out the same form letter over and over to the point yeah. where I think it was the voluntary assisted dying said we ignored the form letters and took them all as a single letter. Yes. That in future they could be using this to auto-generate non-standard form letters. So still a form letter, but it doesn't look like one, which would make it seem like considerably more of a groundswell than it really is. Maybe it will so discredit the email lobbying sort of industry that people will be tempted to just ignore email campaigns if it is such a chronic issue. I, I think maybe in the long run, hmm. but in the short term, there's a, a very high possibility that. Yes. And I think, I think you're right there, Joe. I just think to myself in the short term, you're going to have a hell of a lot more of this sort of nonsense where they don't actually just sign try and flood their email inboxes, that's all. It, so given think, that the Christians... I think, could, I think it could actually work in their favour in the short term, but in the longer term, I think Joe's right. They just think, I think Trevor's right. They'll start to ignore it after about six or 12 months. Given that the email campaigns, normally the Christians outnumber the secularists, mm -hmm. maybe it's an opportunity for the secularists to use the AI to even up the field. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and that I, was also a thought. It's, yes. it's one of those things that we, we, you know, it's just that you're going to get into an arms race with them who can yes. actually flood, mm -hmm. the, who can flood the inboxes faster. 
Yeah. 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 Oh, well, we'll see what happens with that one. All part of an interesting world. So, oh, look, oh, as I was going through these topics, I got quite depressed and negative. So let me pass on some of that to you. Well, I was listening to James O'Brien talking about Boris Johnson. It, Boris Johnson has resigned. And his fuck-off letter. Yes. Basically blaming everybody except himself and saying it was a completely undemocratic process of the inquiries that have been against him. All to do with the parties that were held at Downing Street during lockdown period and his array of lies that he spewed forth in, you know, once hints of this came out and really just caught out. And, you know, as James O'Brien was explaining it, there is a committee looking at his behaviour, which is a majority conservative committee. The parliament is still majority conservative. The worst that would happen is that they would recommend some sort of by-election take place, and then it would be up to his constituents, who are majority conservative, to boot him out. So for him to say the whole process is undemocratic, beggars belief. What what he means is he's a privileged, spoiled brat, and he doesn't like being held to account. Correct. He's he's jumping now, and so he can say the whole thing is a kangaroo court. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I I was listening to that. And really, to any observer looking at Boris Johnson, from the get-go, you just have to go, this guy is a lying prick. And Trump was the same. You just had to look at him and listen to him for five minutes and know that he was a con man, snake oil salesman who was only interested in himself. Yeah, but I don't understand how he's still the front-runner in the Republican nomination race. Because it's all politically motivated. It's all a plot to take him down. It's all tribal. It's it tribal. It's tribalism will excuse anything. Mm-hmm. That's what it's come down to. Yeah, but you do have a number of other people up there yeah. who are trying to take him down. It's just, I don't understand why. I mean, Ron DeSantis is an idiot, but you know, you do have a few others there that are possibly a hell of a lot better than him. Mm. Well, he's created his own tribe, the Trump tribe. Remember, Mm -hmm. he's taken over the Republican Party and refashioned it as the Trump Party. And the other people are Republicans are trying to just nibble away at the edges. So, you know, tribalism. And then, you know, lately with this sort of Brittany Higgins saga, which I will not be talking about. You're free to now. Well, it just, except for this one moment right now. Remind, kept reminding me of Scott Morrison, and and he was also, to my mind, obviously a liar and a charlatan and a buffoon. No, no, no. None of them were liars. They were bullshitters. Yeah. The difference is a liar knows that it's a lie. Yes. And cares about the truth. Right. A bullshitter doesn't care what the truth is. What they say is what serves them at the time. Yeah, well, that's true. Yes. And, and they were all bullshitters. So there's certainly a common thing about these guys as you look at them. But to me, buffoons, blustering, stupid, selfish buffoons, full of schutzpah, which is extreme self-confidence or audacity. It comes from the back of the throat. It's chutzpah. Chutzpah. Thank you for the Hebrew lesson. Yiddish, I think. Yiddish, yes. 
Their only talent was self-promotion and self-preservation, and they invariably relied on a thin veneer of lies and tribalism, the three of them. And the thing is, they got away with it for so long because they just weren't scrutinised by the media properly. And we well, just no, have to... Trump, Trump got so much... Um, Trump became the leader because he got so much free press. They, they looked at the amount of press he got before the 2016 election yes. and said if he'd had to pay for that, that would have been worth hundreds of millions. Yes. Well, okay, that's just another example of how the media has not worked the way it should to no. expose these snake oil salesmen. A complete failure of the media if its job is to inform people of what's going on. But I, th I think they no longer think that. They now think that their job is to pick a uh, side. Well, set agendas, set policy. Mm. Yes. They they think their role is to to drive the populace into persuading politicians. That's what it's become. Certainly for the privately owned media, for example. Even the state owned media to an extent. Mm. Mm. Which way are they driving people, Joe? BBC, ABC. I, I, I think they are undecided. I see they are a lot. On politics, they're afraid to call out the right for, mm. for what they are. But on social issues, mm. I see that quite often they are very left-leaning. Yes. Okay, they'll drive a left-wing bedroom issue. Well, they I'm won't thinking drive well, a... welcome to country Yes, as an example. Mm. And, and or any know, of the gay rights and marriage equality. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Transgender and all that. Yeah, yeah. They'll drive that. That's true. But but politically, they really don't hold politicians to account around climate change. No, true. And, and other political issues. That's because the powerful people don't really care too much about marriage equality and transgender issues. These make up a good distraction to keep the masses occupied. But the things that are important to them, especially oil companies, for example, don't want climate change and rich and powerful people don't want, you know, income inequality dealt with or other no. major changes like that. So so the ones that the you see the publicly owned media will drive are things that powerful people don't care too much about. Anyway. Um, where was I going with this? So, obviously, private-owned sectors captured by powerful interests, the families who own them, but the public sector, the ABC, is captured by the same powerful oligarchs, so they fill the board positions, Ida Butros and the other cronies on the ABC board. They fill the comparing roles. You look at David Spears, Pat Patricia Cavallis, Stan Grant. These are all right-wing corporate types. Any honest independent journalists risk losing access to scoops via leaks if they rock the boat. The smart ones have already left. The ones left behind who are not right-wing insurgents are timid dullards who don't understand and can't provide analysis. I think the analysis on the ABC is pathetic at the moment and the way James O'Brien was talking about the BBC, it sounds like it's no better. There's no analysis. So the only time 
They introduce ideas outside of a narrow Overton window is when they allow crazy right-wing panellists like Greg Sheridan to give a right-wing view, and the effect is to shift the Overton window a bit more to the right. It's like this nonsense that he's got written here, you know, Boris and Trump targets of undemocratic attack, the latest persecutions of both Donald Trump and Boris Johnson, designed to make sure they never come back as shocking. Yes. You know, I can't understand how someone who has a brain on their shoulders could suggest that either of those men are being persecuted. They've been given such a free ride. Yeah. Yeah. That's Greg Sheridan. He's an idiot. Yes. As Marquis lawyers described, he's, he's entered the weird uncle phase of his career. But <laughs> he's been there a while. Next week, the ABC will have him on. Yeah. On some panel somewhere. And not to, to provide... laugh at him either. No. Give us your viewpoint and he'll give his extreme viewpoint and that that will be part of what's acceptable conversation in the Overton window, but they never have anybody from the Socialist Democratic Party or some other extreme left when it comes to economic issues or, or climate change issues. They just, anyway, that's the ABC. It's, it's been taken over. So, so what do we do? So to understand, people need to read. But who's got the time? Who can avoid the distractions that cripple our attention? Like I have to do this podcast every week, so I'm reading stuff, but I often get distracted way too much by social media and get taken away from more in-depth things. It's not easy to avoid all of these bells and whistles and read something of significance and difficulty and try and understand an issue. And look, while I'm on this topic, I am going to provide a little bit of a video from James O'Brien, who was, maybe I'm not. Actually, this is by Roger Waters. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he's been in the news lately because he's been accused of anti-Semitism. And he had quite a good rant explaining why he's not anti-Semitic. But he had a good, in his rant, there was an interesting passage, I thought, about how do we understand topics and learn about things. I'll play this one for you just to break up my monologue. Here we go. A lot of my political ideals are posted through this, mainly following my mother. She once said to me when I was struggling with something or other, she said, Roger, throughout your life, you're going to come up with all kinds of naughty problems things that you have to wrestle with. This is my advice to you. Read, 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 and then read some more. Find out everything there is to know about whatever the question might be, however long it takes. When you've done that, you've done all the heavy lifting. The hard work is over. What do I do then, Mum? She said, next bit's easy. You just do the right thing. It's not hard, but you do have to do the reading and you cannot believe what the BBC tells you because it's completely a mouthpiece of government and the ruling class. You are not being told any of the truth. 
So what I would suggest you should do is like my mother would suggest you do and read, read, read. And don't read the Daily Mail or the Guardian. The Guardian. What is it a Guardian of? Read what people who know about these things have to say. That's the other thing, isn't it? You've got to be careful what you read. Mm-hmm. Head down some rabbit holes and you could be believing all sorts of crazy stuff. You've got to read critically. That's the thing. You've got to be able to evaluate the credentials of the writer and the strength of their arguments. People need to argue, talk, discuss about our civilization and how it's being organized, but we don't. It's impolite to talk about news, politics, sex, and religion. I remember, again, going back to Hitch, him talking to someone, and there is a classic put down of his, and he says, it strikes me, I'm sorry to have to say this, that you have read nothing of your opponent's position. Mm. And he Mm. said, effectively, if you can't succinctly put your opponent's position into words, you shouldn't be having the argument. Mm. Yeah. You should know both sides of the argument before you have it. Mm. In the chat room, are you having dinner parties, meetings with people, where you actually argue stuff with people about, I reckon Mel does, surely. You know, I feel like I go to things. I went to a function of 60th birthday on Sunday at this brewery in Brisbane and introduced a few topics. You were being the weird uncle again, weren't you? Yeah, I was. I feel like I'm the only time people ever come across these discussions. Like this guy started to say they're uh, Russia blowing up the dam. And I said, well, how do you know they did? Anyway, they kick-started something. So, yeah. In the chat room, tell me, do you have discussions where you actually talk about the sorts of things we talk about on this podcast with people and argue and discuss? I'm, I'm interested to know. I think think there's a lack of it. So uh, all I get is at work meetings, oh God, Joe's off on one of another one of his friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if people couldn't see through ScoMo, Johnson or Trump, obvious charlatans, how are they meant to evaluate even simple policies? How is the average person supposed to look at the house crisis at the moment, house prices, rents? You know, they might hear something like, oh, let's give people access to their superannuation to buy houses. Like that's going to come up over the next 18 months. And I think it's a really bad idea because it's just going to lead to increased prices. Fairly sure Juice Media, Honest Mm. Government Ads, did a thing about that. Did they? Yeah. Mm. Again, at this 60th birthday, we got to house prices and somebody said, well, it's all about supply and demand. And... No. Sort of walked away because I wasn't actually in the mood. But okay, supply and demand plays a, a role. But with housing, you've got interest rates, low interest rates leading to people borrowing the maximum they can borrow from the banks, increasing the price. You've got vacancy rates we talked about where there was like a million properties on census night that were just vacant, mm. which we haven't had before. We've got our tax laws that incentivize people to have multiple properties. We've got a culture in Australia of home ownership that is quite strong compared to some other countries. And we've got record low public housing construction. Like there's a whole bunch of issues in there 
that as nuanced and complicated and intertwined, it's just not easy for people. You need to do a lot of reading to get across all of those things. It's not easy. So in the chat room, Mel says, most of my robust discussions are with colleagues, mostly conservative, but usually well-informed, and it helps me hone my arguments, LOL. So Andrew watches her run on YouTube. Don't know what that is. Ronwin says, I'm finding these days people just want to hold forth. They don't want to discuss. Mm -hmm. I hope I'm not holding forth at these things I attend. I like to think I listen to people. Julia says people don't want to think about the tough stuff. And I think she's right there. It's, yeah. it's true. I, I remember my daughter as, as a little one asking questions and I'd say, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, what, what information do you have? Mm. I don't know, Dad. Just give me the answer. Right. <laughs> right. That was like talk, man, talking about the Asian student was encouraged to talk about something and he said, just tell mm. me what to say. Right. Um, yeah. Where am I getting to with this rant? So yeah, our leaders have improved since Morrison, Trump and Johnson, but not by much. The powerful, rich and religious haven't lost anything. The powerless haven't gained anything. The blatant lies and tabloid shitfuckery may have eased, but the policies haven't changed. Besides bedroom issues, look, the parties are the same. So I always like this quote from Chris Hedges about whether there's a difference between the Democrats and the Republicans. He said, well, of course there's a difference. It's how you want your corporate fascism delivered to you. Do you want it delivered by a Princeton-educated Goldman Sachs criminal or do you want it delivered by a racist, nativist, Christian fascist? And we've certainly got the, uh, the Christians here in our Liberal National Party. Ah, look, finally, there's a, besides the housing crisis, Scott, there's a recession coming. And Albanese is going to own it, mm -hmm. I reckon. And at the next election, people may not understand all of the economic issues in details, but they're going to feel pain. And I think they're going to see the Greens are offering meaningful relief. Really? Yes. Because the Australians already been touting that we're in a recession. So the Austra it was one of the Murdoch rags. Mm-hmm. I, I saw the headline, something about Australian recession, mm. and I thought, yeah, what a surprise, right-wing media, left-wing government. Well, it was close. The, the quarter that's just finished was like 0.1 of a percent. Yeah, I know. It was, but, very uh, so that, pitiful. It was a very pitiful yes. performance, and God knows why the RBA thought that, oh, yeah, now's the time to jack up interest rates again. Yeah, 0.2 of a percent. GDP, they, GDP growth was 0.2 of a percent for the March quarter. They're, they're really worried about inflation. Yes. Yeah, okay. Well, the only way they're going to achieve it by jacking up interest rates as far as they have. Now, it's only, you know. Maybe, it's maybe they can start increasing taxes on corporate profits. I agree wholeheartedly. You know, that, that would be the, probably the smarter way to do it, but you're not going to be able to get the government to do that. It's one of those things, I just think to myself, the only way that they're going to actually bring demand under control is to have a lot of people put out of work. Now, it's already resulted in, what was it called? It was called a recession of the households or something like that. They reckoned that the households had to cut back their own expenditure to the point that they're saying that's recessionary type of that sort of expenditure. It's one of those things, God knows why they are just got their blinkers on and they're just still driving up the interest rates. 
Well, would you like to hear from the Reserve Bank Governor and to hear exactly what he had to say? Yeah, Here I know he, what he's going to say. Here he is. And those calculations that you referred to were based on the assumption that people made no adjustments. If people can cut back spending or in some, some cases find additional of work, that would put them back into a positive cash flow position. It's not to say that there's not very significant stress out there in households at the moment, but as I showed in the chart here, arrears rates remain low. People are affording to, to pay their mortgages, even as they roll off from the fixed rate loans to variable rate loans, the arrears rates remain low, but the banks are telling this, and this is understandable of people having to cut back and spending. And I think that's going to be the Korea environment we're operating in a while, for a while yet. People will make their mortgage payments, but they have to cut, they'll be cutting back, sending in other areas. So I'm, I'm hearing he's saying, put food on your table, don't pay your mortgage, and then the RBA will cut interest rates. Yes. I think what he's actually saying is that, you know, he, he's basically making a What's the word I'm grabbing for? That he's making a, 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 he's trying to justify his position of jump, jacking up the interest rates the way he has. He said that it's going to impact your expenditure outside of your mortgage payments. Mm. So you can, you can still put food on the table. You can still buy your kids new shoes, but you can't buy them the expensive shoes. You've got to buy them the cheap shoes. You've got to spend as little as humanly possible. And that is the whole point. It is just one of those things. It is starting to hurt now though. And as the interest rates go up and as the mortgage payments go up, it's going to hurt even more to the point that people are going to then eventually end up selling their homes and they're going to not get as much for them as they were hoping for. Yeah. There's still a lot of people on fixed cheap rates that haven't yeah. gone to variable yet. They are going to, I think they're calling that the cliff, aren't they? They're saying they're going to fall off that cliff this year. Yeah. So our RBA refuses to accept that increased corporate profits has significant effect on this. And they're yeah, basically blaming wages. And mm -hmm. apparently in their report, according to an article by Bernard Keane in Crikey, he says the report in, devoted an entire section of its most recent statement on monetary policy to discrediting the argument that profits played a significant role. So our Reserve Bank is focused on blaming wages for inflation. But according to Bernard Keane in Crikey, elsewhere, in other countries, central banks are actively engaged in the debate about the role of profits. So let me just see here. The European Central Bank released research showing that the latest increases driven by both unit labour costs and unit profit, uh, unit profits. Unit profits increased by 9.4% in the fourth quarter and contributed more than half of the domestic price pressures. So the European Central Bank is acknowledging the role of corporate profits, whereas our Reserve Bank is refusing to. And uh, the European Central Bank president went further and said sectors have taken advantage to push costs through entirely without squeezing on margins and in some cases pushing prices higher than justified by the cost of their inputs. So uh, there was another country there I think as well that 
had a similar thought. Let me just. Lots get... of them used the lockdown to lay off staff. Yes. And then complain about increased costs and pass that on to consumers. Yes. When actually running at reduced costs. Yes. One of the arguments you'll see is that, okay, there's been increased profits in business in Australia when you look at a chart. But a lot of that is in the mining and energy sector and separate to the rest of the economy. And Bernard Keane says, well, okay, if we admit if we forget about energy, what other structurally important inputs and stevedore profits have soared? Coles and Woolworths have enjoyed surging profits. The banks have enjoyed higher profits. Qantas, higher mm-hmm. profits. Department stores, higher profits. So in the spirit of John Cleese, he says, apart from energy, freight, construction, materials, groceries, interest rates, airfares and retail, where is the so-called profit-driven inflation? That's a good line from Bernard King. So, so yeah, our Reserve Bank ignoring profits, other Reserve Banks are accepting that they're playing a role in inflation. And if you see the argument, well, it's all about the resource energy sector, super profits. Remember all those other sectors that have had strong profit growth. It's got to have some impact on inflation. But nobody's going to address that, it seems. I could have sworn that I read something today that they reckon that the outrageous profits and that sort of stuff that the mining companies were making are all the way down because the per ton price of coal and the barrel of oil has gone back down dramatically, hasn't it? I think some of that has, yes. I'm not, yeah. not sure what commodity prices, I think some of that has dropped down. Yeah. Yeah. But here's what I like about Crikey, at least on this one, is, okay, that was an argument run by Bernard Keane in Crikey. And then there was another argument run by Adam Schwab, also in Crikey, basically saying, yeah, Bernard Keane's sort of exaggerating what the real cause of inflation is here. He's missed the real point. And I'm about to explain what he suggests the real point is, but I think it's quite refreshing that in the same publication, you've got people trying to solve a problem, but having a different view and you just got to work your way through and try and figure out who's right. And uh, so he admits that Keane was correct in a sense that some businesses are making the most of the situation and fattening their profit margins. He said, in normal times, unless you've got a monopoly, a business that tries to increase prices is going to lose market share as customers switch to competitors. But what has happened recently is that businesses without monopoly pricing have been able to increase prices without losing customers. And the reason is that following the global financial crisis, we had a decade of gluttony where debt levels massively expanded. And in 2020, when the economy should have contracted, COVID came along and governments lost their collective minds. Encouraged by much of the media, politicians chose to lock up their population which had the effect of significantly slowing economies. And to avoid being voted out by people, governments undertook the most aggressive fiscal stimulus in modern history. In Australia, $290 billion was created and handed to all sorts of people. And that didn't get returned when the pandemic ended. All that money remained in the system. 
So inflation, he says in its most basic form, is too much money chasing too few goods. So the COVID-related stimulus created a torrent of cash. And unlike previous decade of monetary policy largely causing asset prices to skyrocket, it materialised in higher consumer goods and service costs. So corporations have been able to fatten their profit margins because their customers have more money to spend. That's an interesting angle to it. I, that... I, I disagree. I think mm. the, the, the biggest benefits of JobKeeper was Qantas, was har- hardly normal, who did really, really well. Mm by the average people not being able to get out, I don't think it created zombie businesses at all. Mm. I think a lot of small businesses died out. Mm. I think the zombie businesses were Harvey Norman and Qantas and, and the ilk who got huge amounts of government money and the people who needed it. You know, I, I, th- I think the 12th man mm. needed it. I, I think that was one of his major mm. arguments against the lockdown. Mm. was that he suffered personally mm. and he wasn't seeing government largesse. It was the, the corporations that saw the, the largesse. Mm. And no, that, got, that money hasn't been paid back. I and think I agree with you, Joe. I don't think it did trickle down to the consumer no. level. I think it stayed at the corporate level. Yep. So probably Keane's correct and Schwab's probably incorrect. Oh, well, I, I think the government bailouts could well be the cause of the inflation, but they'd yeah. never got to the poor people. Yeah. But you know, and therefore also, punishing the poor people is the wrong yeah. place. You should be going after the corporations. Yeah. There would – different sectors. In the boomer sector, let's, let's pick on baby boomers again, mm-hmm. who have had their asset prices increase mm-hmm. and their superannuation, you know, okay – they haven't been spending money on overseas holidays and they've had their sort of every boomer I know is currently overseas at the moment. They're all, they're all there. They're, Facebook is littered with people mm-hmm. in Europe traveling around. So I think there was a bit of pent up money to be spent by those people who weren't going on holidays. There was a lot of holiday money, for example, yeah. unspent that went into vehicles. People bought caravans and... Yeah, there was a big stuff. shortage of vehicles. I, I think some sectors would have benefited from from boomers having spare money that they couldn't spend because they were locked up. I think there was a little bit of that at some point. But yeah, you, I mean, you're right. The general Joe Blow. I, I, I think not travelling into the city, mm. not commuting five days a week, what's it, $8 a day in train alone? Yep. So $40 a week, times that by 50 weeks. It's two grand a year. So it's another two grand in my pocket, which was discretionary spending. Mm-hmm. And yes, of course, there was the need to upgrade the home office mm. because I'm working from home now. So yeah. I, I think spending patterns did shift, but I don't know that people had more money. Mm. Anyway. Good to hear some arguments about what's going on. Dear listener, if you get the show notes, read through it yourself and figure it out as to who you reckon's most likely correct. Okay. I think there's got to be a bit to both of those arguments. Hmm. Yeah. Now, just backtracking, if you guys are with the notes, head back to Greg Sheridan's mm-hmm. picture, back up that way, because you see, 
has lost its way. And Greens MP Max Chandler Mather appeared on the Insiders program. And David Spears was questioning the questioning Max about their housing policy. And I've got a link on the show notes. Well, just Google it, you'll find it. He was he was his view was always well, if you do that, then this terrible thing's going to happen, or you can't seriously suggest this, or, you know, you don't really mean that, do you? Or, of course, if you do that, that's going to cause a problem here. He was very combative in his approach to what the screens guy was saying. And, Scott, I have to say that the Greens MP, Max Chandler Mather, was all over it. He was good. Well, he was one of the most impressive politicians in Australia that I've heard in a long, long time in terms of being over the topic, the detail, wasn't drawn to the side issues that Spears wanted to go to, brought it back where he wanted to when necessary, didn't dodge the questions, gave good answers. I thought he was excellent. I think, you know, because before I said, you know, next election, the Greens are going to People are going to listen to the Greens and they're going to feel the pain. And I think you grimaced a little bit. But I think that, that Max, can, he can sell a story. If people listen to him for 10 minutes, they will go, okay, that guy understands his shit. Like he obviously does a lot of door knocking, talks to a lot of people, and he's also got a lot of stats and figures and facts right on the tip of his tongue, ready to go and ready to throw back at David Spears. He's very, very good. Yeah, I've got noted about that. He was, he's in Brian's electorate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian calls him the 12-year-old. Right. Um, <laughs> one of those things, I think at the time I said that if you had teal independence up here, Griffith would have fallen to a teal and Brisbane would have fallen to a teal and the one out in the western suburbs, which name escapes me, would also have Ryan. teal. Ryan, yes. Mm. I don't think those three would have been picked up by the Greens, but Max has probably got this seat for at least two, possibly three terms. Because yeah. he understands his electorate very well. His electorate's got a, well, a large number of People that live in it that don't own the properties they live in, they've got twice the number of rent of share accommodations in that in that seat compared to what other seats do. So I think he's, I think he's by giving him the housing portfolio and that sort of stuff that he's got with the Greens, they certainly have chosen him for the right reasons. He has got he's right across the he's right across it. He's got everything under control and he's really hammering it. Mm. So I think to myself, well, they've probably done the right thing by giving it to him. Yeah. I think people listen to him, the renters and people who aren't comfortable in the housing market are going to go, yep, that sounds good. So there was an article in The Shot by this guy talking about, a little bit about that interview, basically saying how David Spears really took the conservative line in questioning him and... And, and that's, you know, yes. you've got on the one hand, Greg Sheridan's of the world who are the extreme right-wingers, and then you've got like the David Spears and Patricia Cavallis of the world who are not so extreme, but they appear centre 
because of the extreme right that's given so much airtime, but they're really promoting a, a very centre-rightish viewpoint, and this is out of the ABC. So, so yeah, have a look at that on YouTube. Max Chandler Mather on Insiders was very impressive. And uh, there was an article in the, in the Saturday paper. This one was Kos Samaras ended 14 years working for Labor as a strategic and campaign director years ago, but he doesn't mind giving his old employer, Labor, a bit of advice. And in a nutshell, it's this. Housing is a huge issue with voters. Labor's policy response is not cutting through and the Greens are coming to get them. So he's currently part of a polling research and strategy outfit. And uh, that's what the focus groups are telling him. And he says that for people under 45, housing is just as important as climate change. I I think Labor really is no longer the party of the people. Mm. Mm. And, and yeah, maybe the the rank and file is, but certainly the people at the top just do not reflect the average working person. Yeah. So, so that was him. Uh, I won't go into that in detail. I think what Samaras, is that a lady or a, or a bloke? No, it's a bloke. It's yeah, it's a yeah. bloke. You know, I think, he's, I think he's hit the nail on the head over the Housing Future Fund. It's, I think it's going to be lost on the general public. They're not mm. going to understand what it's about and that type of thing. And, you know, I think Max Chandler, whatever his name is, you know, the 12-year-old has also got a very good point there. He said, if you, if you look at the way the future fund performed last year and you compared that to, if you compared that to the same thing on a $10 billion housing future fund, then you would immediately halve the amount of money you were spending with public housing every year. Mm. You know, it's one of those things. And one of the arguments that I've heard him say before, which was very powerfully put, he said, you know, you don't fund health, you don't fund education like that. Yes. Why the hell would you fund housing like that? Yes. He's very good with that. Yeah. Mm. Now, that is a very good point. You know, I yeah, just. Because he's saying it's a punt on the stock market. If it's a exactly. bad year for the stock market, then yeah, no, housing gonna, no housing gets funded. Yeah. 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 He says we don't do that with other essential services. Mm-hmm. He's right. Yeah, I know he's right. Yeah. It's one of those things. I think the Labor Party is trying to. You know, just say, look, we can be just as, we can just be as financially conservative as the Tories were. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's housing. That's Australia and the RBA. Let's look a little more internationally, and we're going to get on to Ukraine and Nazis. Given the transcript of what we're about to discuss, is going to referring to Nazis a lot. I think I'll just delete this from YouTube as soon as I've finished recording it, just save myself getting struck off. <laughs> clearly, we couldn't talk about Jews and Nazis without being anti-Semitic or pro-Nazi. It's probably what the claim will be. So anyway, let's just dive in and see where we end up. Oh, Julia says, Scott, you can keep calling Max... The twelve-year-old, but he's listening to and communicating effectively. Exactly what you're saying, Julia. I agree wholeheartedly with you. He's listening to them and he's making a very good point. Yes. You know, it's just something that I just I couldn't remember his name, so I just referred to him as a twelve-year-old. Yes. Alice says Max's whiteboard video is excellent, and Bronwyn says Barry Jones labelled the Labor Party the tepid party in his last book. You can see why. 
Julia makes the point. Max is a renter himself. Understands. That's true. There we go. Okay, that's the that reason. Barry Jones, the former science minister. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. He's disillusioned as well. Right. Let's talk about Ukraine for a little bit. Okay. In New Zealand, New Zealand's national radio broadcaster is conducting an internal investigation after evidence emerged that an employee had edited wire reporting on the Ukraine war to add Russia-friendly phrasing. So instead of just taking the Reuters wire service and doing a copy and paste, somebody at New Zealand Radio National had the temerity to actually insert some words of their own. And there were four articles. And in the articles in question, there was a range of amendments, adding the word coup to describe the Maidan revolution, changing a description of Ukraine's former pro-Russian president to read pro-Russian elected government, adding references to a pro-Western government that had been that had suppressed ethnic Russians, and on several occasions adding references to Russia's concerns about neo-Nazi elements. I mean, not completely over-the-top, ridiculous added commentary. In one article, a paragraph was added reading, the Kremlin also said its invasion was sparked by a failure to implement the Minsk Agreement, peace accords, designed to give Russian speakers autonomy and protection, and the rise of a neo-Nazi element in Ukraine since a coup ousted a Russia-friendly Ukrainian government in 2014. That's all true. Like, Russia, the Kremlin also says that. I mean, that's what the Kremlin says. There's nothing false about that. That is what the Kremlin side of the story is, and it starts off with the Kremlin also said blah, blah, blah. So that was fair enough. Another added that Russia launched its invasion, quote, claiming that a US-backed coup in 2014 with the help of neo-Nazis has created a threat to its borders and had ignited a civil war that saw Russian-speaking minorities persecuted. Well, again, it starts with Russia claims, blah, blah, blah. So the person adding these paragraphs, at least with those things, is really saying, well, here's what the Russians are saying. They're going to get hauled over the coals and sacked. We're adding that you've got to you've got to stick to the, the the accepted narrative, even in the New Zealand national radio broadcaster. Heaven forbid that you. I mean, the number of times I bet they have two sides, two sided a story to bring in the pro and the con, but not on this issue. So, I thought that was interesting, sort of censorship taking place in the New Zealand public broadcaster. Just a reminder, by the way, 2021, Maurice Payne, she cancelled a former Australian soldier's passport because he was planning to fight with a notoriously neo-Nazi Azov battalion. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So, I remember that. You know, no one's allowed to suggest that there are Nazis in the Ukrainian 
armed forces. I, I was going to say, there are Nazis in the Ukraine. The Wagner yeah. Battalion's there. Yes. We, so we actually cancelled a guy's passport and wouldn't leave, let him leave the country because he was going to fight with the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion in the Ukrainian army. But now, if people want to suggest there's some nasty Nazi elements in the Ukrainian military, well, it's just a no-go zone. Like, like, even I'd forgotten that incident, but just goes to show where we were thinking, what we were thinking uh, about. I, I remember the documentaries about the Azov Battalion and the neo-Nazism. Mm. So there's that article about think tanks that get quoted in the media dealing with the Ukraine war. There was a study done of those and it found that media outlets have cited think tanks with financial backing from the defence industry 85% of the time or seven times as often as think tanks that do not accept funding from Pentagon contractors. And the media outlets rarely identify the conflicts of interests that are entailed there. So, so many of these think tanks funded by defence forces or contractors in military supplies and they get quoted in papers and they say things that are, we need to spend more money on this war and supplying more munitions without being required to, de to declare their conflict of interest. Happens all the time, happens on the ABC all the time where they have representatives from ASPE or whatever come on. Okay, we had the Nord Stream pipeline. Who done it? And the prevailing narrative was that the Russians blew up their own pipeline, that they could have easily just switched off. Now we've got the Kark Karkovka Dam. As Nova. The Nova. Let's just call it the Nova. The Nova Karkovka well, no, Dam. Nova means new, so Nova Karkovka yes. Dam. Okay. And it's been attacked and with a result that floodwaters have now entered the area below the dam. And the prevailing narrative is that... Well, the Russians did it. Qui bono? In, in, yeah, qui bono means who benefits. And, well, who benefits from this? The people who argue the Russians did it say, oh, the Ukrainians are about to launch an offensive against the Russian lines and this is going to hamper that offensive. Other people it would say... Forces them into choke points. Other people would say, well, the water supplies from that canal that's fed by that dam provides 85% of Crimea's water and supplies... However, if Russia expected to lose the Crimean Peninsula mm. in the upcoming battle, yes, then it would be in their interest to cut off water supplies to the Crimea. Yes. And they have to do that before the battle even begins? No, the, the, the reason they do it before the battle begins is to stop them crossing the Dnipro further downstream mm. and force them into choke points where they can put lots of reinforcements. Mm. I would have thought the Crimea is, is where Russia would, would give up almost 
any of the territory that it's gained except the Crimea because of its importance for shipping. They might, but mm. the point was they, they realised that they couldn't keep the Crimea without a land bridge. Mm. Uh, so you think on the Cubono argument than the Russians did it? Well, they had, they yeah. had more to gain by that. There's also another fact, which was they'd already let water out of the dam right. to a certain point, and then they closed the gates. And with the winter, or sorry, the spring thaws, the gates, which the Russians control, mm -hmm. the, the waters are now at the highest level they've ever been from the lowest level they've ever been. Right. So the people who were controlling the amount of water in the dam was the Russians. And if you wanted to create a downstream flood to force troops into choke points, in other words, to stop troops crossing, mm -hmm. then you'd want as much water in the dam as possible. I thought the Ukrainians controlled dams upstream of this one. Possibly. And, I and don't the, know. But and this particular so I heard one... The exact other opposite was that, in fact, the Ukrainians had allowed extra water to flow through into the, the dams. dams that they controlled but, but upstream then, of this but one. Th but then why didn't the Russians let the water out rather than building it up to the highest level possible? I don't know. So like to have a full dam? I don't know. Somebody um, is saying that Chatter suggests the dam failed due to neglect by the Russian occupiers. Right. I, th I thought the seismographic monitoring had shown mm. that it was actually caused by explosions. Mm. Did you hear about the interview with General Andre? Kaval, Kaval, Kovalchuk in the Washington Post. Yet. Yet. <laughs> so this is, this is from the 29th of December, 2022. Mm -hmm. And he's interviewed in the Washington Post. And it reads, Kovalchuk considered flooding the river. So he's, a, he's the Ukrainian general of some sort. He said that they considered flooding the river. The Ukrainians, he said, even conducted a test strike with a HIMARS launcher on one of the floodgates at the Nova Kovka Dam, making three holes in the metal to see if the water could be raised enough to stymie Russian crossings but not flood nearby villages. The test was a success, he said, but the step remained a last resort. He held off. So back in December 2022, in an interview with the Washington Post, yep. major, a major general of the Ukrainian army says, you know, we thought about blowing up that dam. We even and, did a test and, and they, put some they, holes in it. Well, and, they blew up dams north of Kiev to stop yeah. the... So, so yeah. when, the, when the military flow was in the other direction with the Russians advancing, mm. absolutely the Ukrainians thought about it. Mm. However, this is just before the Ukrainians start to do their counteroffensive and push Russians back. Yeah, but okay, the Ukrainian counteroffensive—you mm -hmm. really think it's a thing? Yes, you do. Yeah, they're not going to sit on the Leopard tanks from Germany or the Abrams tanks from the Yanks and not use them. You don't think that the What's been going on so far is that the Russians give up territory, allow the Ukrainians back in, bomb the shit out of the territory and move back in. Like, it seems like the Russians are, are, have been mounting a fairly clever strategy in recent times where they actually give up towns 
let the Ukrainians back in, bomb the shit out of them and bomb their supply lines and then it, and it sort of makes it easy for them to group them together. You actually, you actually think the Ukrainians are capable of a successful sort of counter-strike? They, well, they, have, done, they have done incredibly well so far. Right. This and, is something that was supposed to be over a fortnight. Well, exactly. And, and the Russians have proved how <laughs> on, pa on, on paper they were the second biggest army in the world. Mm. And in reality, there had been so much grift going on that what existed on paper didn't exist in reality. I think the Ukrainians have been taking a pounding over the last few months and they're just, it's a, just a meat grinder of young Ukrainian men. And I don't think the Russians at all are worried about it. Anyway, here's the point. I we'll reckon that arguments... See, Trevor, we will have to wait and see because I think yes. to myself that it has started, but it's not at, it's not at its full strength yet. They're probably probing for the Russians to find the weakest point and then they're going to smash mm. through. You, you've got whole battalions and that sort of stuff that are armed and equipped with Western material, which mm. has not been committed to the battle yet. Mm. So once they get committed, then, then we're going to find out who's actually right. Here's yeah. the point. Mm. There's arguments on both sides. Absolutely there are. Nobody yeah, knows I don't really. Know who was responsible for blowing up this dam. Well, yeah. But the prevailing narrative, if you read anything, is of all the, the Russians didn't. blew it up. Oh, yeah. And there are, you know, there's good arguments to say, well, actually, it was the Ukrainians. And that's not what you hear. It could have been either side of it. Yeah. Either but, side could have blown it up. Yeah. So that's right. But that's not what you hear. If you're reading The Guardian, or you read any mainstream paper, news, Western paper, media source, you are getting that, of course, the Russians did it. And you've got to dig around a little bit to find the counter arguments. And I'm not saying it's, it's not like Nord Stream, which to me is pretty clear that Russia didn't do it and the Americans did. After all, they said they were going to. But it is one where you can say, like, there's arguments both ways. We won't know. You can't be sure. Oh, moving on. Roger Waters. Any Roger Waters fans? Here yes. On the panel. Yes. Does he look and smell like an anti-Semite to you, Joe? Anybody or... who calls him an anti-Semite is not aware of his body of work. Mm. Well, Sir Keir Starmer. Oh, I'm aware. Leader of the Labour Party in the UK, wrote to the Board of Deputies of British Jews and said... Thank you for bringing this to my attention. I found the examples listed in your letter of instances in which Roger Waters has clearly espoused anti-Semitic views to his audience, highly disturbing. There is no place for anti-Semitism anywhere at any time. And those who hide behind the excuse that artists in the entertainment industry should not be held to the same standards as others are utterly wrong. Blah, blah, blah. See, I disagree. Mm. He might have espoused anti-Zionist views. Yes. I don't think he's espoused anti-Semitic views. Of course he hasn't. Complete but opposite. But people conflate anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism the same as they quote criticism of Islam with Islamophobia. Yeah. Yes. So it, it's hiding behind the religion. Yep. Or, or sorry, hiding behind racism 
to avoid valid criticism. Yes. So let's just play a little bit of what's Roger Waters describing what is going on here. Two minutes. The narrative that I'm an anti-Semite and that I'm promoting fascism by wearing a leather coat and that I'm heavy symbols, which are crossed hammers, by the way, not swastikas or anything that is literally Nazi, Third Reich, German. 40 years I've been doing, 40 years, every single year almost between 1980 and now, I've been doing bits of that show. Why now? Why suddenly now would people be picking up and going, he's wearing a replica of a Nazi uniform on stage. He's obviously glorifying the Third Reich and Nazism. He's doing that as part of his general attitude, which is that he hates Jewish people. All over all the press in the Western world, everything. Roger Waters, anti-Semite, glorifying Nazism, wearing a thing. Okay. Well, if we could deconstruct that little bit. In my piece, The Wall, at the end of the fascist bit, in the film, it's Bob Geldof. When he's the fascist leader, he's singing all this stuff, which I wrote, about who they are, the forces of evil. And they're in the song, Waiting for the Worms. They're waiting to take over the world, waiting to cut out the dead wood. The is Pink, Bob Geldof, internally realizes that he's made a terrible mistake by wanting to become a powerful demagogue and rule the world. That's why he tries himself in the trial. He tries himself for having become a Nazi. So how you can transmogrify this work of theater into me glorifying the Third Reich and Nazism, beggars belief. It's all a little bit too nuanced mm. for most, for many people, including Sir Keith Starmer. Well, if he's dressed up as a Nazi, he must be anti-Semitic. It, it just reminds me of the whole Scottish comedian mm. with, with the dog. He talked to put its paw up when he said, "Guess the Jews." Yes. And, yes. and the police hunted around to find a Jewish group that could be offended by it so that they could prosecute him. Yes. It's just the, it, you know, it, it might have been a joke in poor taste, but the whole point was the, the juxtaposition of something atrocious and this cute little puppy doing something atrocious. Yes. It, it was no way glorifying it. And, and this blatant misunderstanding just to make a political point. Mm. Yep. I've mentioned before that I feel the tide has turned a lot on the state of Israel with the, with the words apartheid really seems to stick mm. as to what's going on. That's in exactly that the way they're behaving. Mm. And I think that's causing damage to the Israeli cause worldwide in terms of acceptance. And so Roger Waters has a theory on why is he being attacked now when he's been doing this for 40 years. So, and he's been vocal about Palestine for the last 10 at least. Yes, indeed. So here he is. And suddenly now you're all going, oh, it's anti-Semitic. It's this, it's that, the other. Why now? Well, I know the answer. 
And if anybody would listen to me, and you are listening to me, I could tell you the answer. The Israeli government sees me as an existential threat to their settler colonialist racist apartheid regime. That is why now. And they've done everything that they can think of to discredit me. I'm definitely deleting this from YouTube. I'm going to get an email very soon saying, what is this video about? Please explain yourself. You've used these words way too much. So, yeah. <laughs> he speaks very well. Tim's a really likable guy. Richard Waters. So. Right. Mel says, go, Roger. Roman says, it's no accident that Israel was one of the main supporters of the apartheid regime in South Africa, providing armament, training to their secret police, etc. Oh, here we go. And Mel, not to bang on about the Labor Party, but in addition to voting down a motion supporting AUKUS, the left also supported a motion to recognise Palestine for the umpteenth, umpteenth time. Yep, there we go. Keep the comments coming. Mel's probably convincing me more and more that I should join the Labor Party. I'm trying to convince you to join the Greens. Well, you're never going to get that. To... Right. Okay. So we're definitely going to... Uh, help on the North Coast in the next election for the Labor Party as well. Right, uh, we did Trump. So he's been indicted. An idiot. And sometime in the next 12 hours or so, he's going to appear somewhere. And he's got a yeah, court you, in Miami, doesn't he? You, you know, if they yes. come for Trump, they'll come for any former government minister that keeps classified documents in their public bathrooms. And deliberately hides it from the authorities yes. who ask for it. And That's he tells it. his lawyers to do some illegal activity to deny that it's there and then shows it to other people and says, of course, it's classified. I shouldn't be showing this to you. I, and, I should cheat you for this. And I know I can't declassify it. Yes. Yeah. So there is an indictment, dear listener, which you can read on the internet. There'll be a link in the show notes. It's quite, it's, it's quite good reading, actually. It's all politically motivated. Yeah, it was all a setup. It's not in legalese. It pretty much dispels out the fact that during his time as president, he collected all of these documents. That he took them with him when he left the office. A lot of them are about military secrets, it seems. A lot about nuclear armaments, plans possible plans to attack another country, weaknesses, pros and cons of the defences of different countries, including the United States, lots of military secretive stuff. And it's clear when you read the indictment that he was in a conversation that was recorded with his consent, because I think it was about a book deal. They were discussing what he was what they could do in a book deal. And so part of some of his most terrible admissions are like he's telling people, oh, check out this secret document. You know, I shouldn't be showing it to you. Knowing his, so that's recorded. Clearly his lawyers at the time have turned on him because they have clearly provided evidence of conversations. 
He's, he's going to end up in a court in Florida and the judge who's going to hear it is going to be one of his appointees. Apparently he said to somebody, oh, they paid... God, who was the president before him? Obama. They oh. paid Obama however many dollars for the return of these classified documents that he had. He was angling for a payout, from what I can understand. He took this classified information on the grounds that the US government were then going to pay them to get them back, pay him to get them back. Okay. Well, that was not in the indictment. No, it wasn't in the indictment. Yeah. It's worth reading if you've got the time. And yeah, but it's going to be heard in Florida and the judge hearing it is an appointee of Trump. The one who already demanded a special moderator, what was it, the Right. He was the, when they originally went in to search through his stuff, Yes, they wanted somebody to go through and, and make sure it really was classified material. Yes. So the judge put this person, special counsel, I can't remember. Yes. Yeah, so it's the same judge again that got yeah. admonished last time. Mm. So she's very pro-Trump is the point. In, in front of any half-normal judge, you would say Trump is completely sunk reading the indictment. No way he could get out of it. It's terrible. He's, He's a traitor. Crazy. He's a complete traitor showing and keeping these documents. And the, you know, the bathroom it was held in and the ballroom it was held in, these, the facility, anybody could have come in and, and found these documents. There was a great tweet by David Frum, conservative yeah. commentator, who said... I was about to say he's conservative. Yes. Any hostile foreign intelligence service that failed to steal US secrets from Trump's Mar-a-Lago stash owes its taxpayers a big refund. <laughs> I reckon there would be some foreign intelligence services that didn't, and they'd be getting their asses kicked right now. Mm. Their superiors would be saying... Why didn't we have someone in Mar-a-Lago going through that? Even friendly foreign intelligence services. Yeah. Yes. Sure as egg. Surely the Chinese hold of it. Surely. It was literally, there's thousands of people would have had an opportunity to just walk through unlocked doors and go into these boxes. Incredible. So with any normal judge, he'd be completely sunk. Who knows? Anything is possible with Trump. Who knows? But it's a very, very damning indictment. Hmm. Right. Um, what else have we got? Because we're nearly at nine o'clock, which would be a good time to finish, would be just briefly on Essential Poll. That's still holding firm with the voice at 60% yes, 40% no, and it's been more or less that way for the last for this one and the three previously, so fairly steady. I thought it had just been announced this morning that the percentage for yes had gone down below the 50% mark and the percentage for yeah, for percentage for no had gone above 50%. That was on a news poll or, a, okay, or a, gotcha. a, another obscure poll. So mm-hmm. the essential one has been consistently now at 60%. So there's that. And, oh, they had an interesting thing about social class identification. So 
Do you consider yourself to be any of the following? Upper class, middle class, working class, none of the above and don't know. So upper class, Australians, about 4% think they're upper class. 49% think they're middle class. 30% think they're working class. 10%. None of these. So, and if you're young, you are more likely to consider yourself upper class and otherwise everything else was pretty similar. So that was essential poll for this week. Oh, look, and just very quickly, seeing with Pat Robertson. Oh, yes. Sorry. Pat Robertson, noted evangelical preacher in the US, passed away. I, I saw a cartoon which had death in front of us, the grabby machine, you know, oh, the one you put them. Yeah. And pulls out Pat Robertson and goes, bloody hell, can't it be Henry? Is, is Henry Kissinger even in this thing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be good. That is good. Yeah. yeah. And then somebody else mentioned Berlusconi. Yes. Yes. All the good ones going. Yeah. Well, Pat Robertson. Berlusconi was actually mourned by President Putin. Yes. Of course he was. Yeah. Pat Robertson, he talked with Jerry Falwell shortly after 9-11. the blamed the terrorist attack on the pagans and the abortionists and the feminists and the gays and the lesbians. He implied Hurricane Katrina was God's punishment for abortion. In 2010, after the Haiti earthquake that killed over 100,000 people, he said Haiti's founders brought the earthquake on themselves because they declared independence from France. And after the Wisconsin Sikh shooting that killed seven people, he blamed it on atheists and people who hate God. In actual fact, the shooter was a white supremacist with ties to neo-Nazis. Who thought Nazism would be such a thing? Yeah, I know. In this it's, day and age. It's really it comes up everywhere. It's coming up everywhere in Britain, Australia, and the United States. And the, the, these mm. were all countries that were, we jumped on that bandwagon first, the anti-fascist bandwagon. Yes. It's always I'd, been a small but vocal minority. Mm. I don't have a recording, but according to this tweet, according to this tweet, Vice Regal songbird Linda Hurley <laughs> said to be hard at work on her rousing new ballad of Ben Robert Smith. Though insiders say she's having trouble finding a rhyme for amputee. In the comments, people have said, proud military legacy would work. No sense of humanity. He murdered an amputee. Yes. So there we go. Of course, her husband was involved in Ben Robert Smith. So he was chief of the Australian Defence Force. It appears he may have misled the Senate regarding a handcuffed prisoner who was shot dead by an Australian Special Forces officer. So General David Hurley told an estimates hearing it was a combat-related death, but a previous secret internal defence report said the man was shot when the Australian officer was left alone in the room with the prisoner. So her husband has some involvement in that sort of thing. And I reckon that will probably do, unless you guys had something pressing you want to talk about. It's not really pressing, just that bloke that sent you that complimentary email and that sort of stuff last week saying that he disagreed with you on Russia. Yes. 
notes up here. So Lloyd Ferrier and also oh, okay. special hello to Matt too because I only just told him about the podcast. Yes, okay, very good. Well, dear listener, our, our listenership is not increasing, so yep. you might think of just telling your friends that would be good. You might think about becoming a patron because I've lost one or two in the last couple of months. Pretty steady but still not growing. If you're not a patron and you've been listening to 15 to 20 episodes, you kind of know what you're getting. And so it does help. And that would be good. Go to the website or look at the link in the, in the description on your podcast app. Pony up. I'm almost out of grog. That's it. And Joe's mixer blew up the other day. Probably needs a new one by the sounds of it. So yeah. And just to show your support, doesn't have to be a lot. What else is there? Yeah, tell your friends. Need a few more listeners. That would be good. All right. Well, all right. and also we've got chapters. So if you look at your podcast app, you'll see all these things are in chapters. So if you liked a segment, you can go back to it. If you want to skip a segment, you can. And John says he's sharing stuff on Twitter. That's good, John. Thanks for that. All right. Well, uh, until next time, we will talk to you later. Bye for now. It's a good night from me. And it's a good night from him. Good night.